The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Knowing the job you work in that pays your bills could be making you sick can be extremely upsetting to think about. So I thought it would be a good idea to speak with a respiratory physician to find out more about interstitial and idiopathic lung disease. Dr Ivan Ling is an Australian trained sleep and respiratory physician who provides specialist care in all aspects of respiratory and sleep medicine with an interest in lung cancer, chronic cough, asthma, COPD and sleep disorders. Dr Ivan Ling consults at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital and is the Medical Director at CRS. We are with Dr Ivan Ling, respiratory physician, and we're going to talk about interstitial lung disease today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Pleasure, Danae. Let's start with what is interstitial lung disease? So interstitial lung disease is the disease of the tissues of the lung. Uh, When you look at the lung, you can talk about the outside of the lung, the chest wall, or the lining, you can talk about the airways, which are the tubes that air travels through to get into the lung. Mm. When we say interstitium, uh, we're referring to the actual tissue that makes up the substrate of the lung. Okay, so that is the, so the interstitium is the tissue of the lung. Interstitium means uh, the, the parts that are between cells and linings. So between mucosal linings, between the cells, yes. you have matrix, you have substance and, and fluid. That's what the interstitium refers to. Is it very thin or is it is it No, it's a substantial proportion of the lung substance. Um, okay. Yeah. Most of the lung is obviously air. But, yes. Uh, much of what's left is interstitium. Okay. And what diseases are examples of interstitial lung disease? So interstitial lung disease uh, refers to a uh, broad range of conditions. Uh, In Australia, uh, the most well-known perhaps is asbestosis, uh, which is interstitial lung disease caused by subsequent uh, or significant exposure to asbestos, often as an occupation. Yes. Um, There are a number of other ones uh, of which the biggest category is actually idiopathic uh, interstitial lung disease, meaning we don't actually identify a definite cause Okay. And how many people in Australia would be diagnosed with interstitial lung disease? Is it hard to hard to know or So um I guess we can talk about prevalence and incidence. Prevalence yes. is how many people have it right now. Yeah. Uh and the estimates are a bit variable, but uh the most commonly quoted figure is about eighty per hundred thousand. Uh, or if you think about a million people, you would expect about 800 people might have a diagnosis of this. So it's not very common. Common, okay. Um, in terms of uh, how many people get diagnosed, that's what we talk about. Incidence, about a quarter of that is thought to be about the incidence. So 20 per 100,000 people per year may get diagnosed with an interstitial lung disease. So is that considered then quite small? Like people are it's being not- missed then? or not being diagnosed? I, I think uh, some of it may be that uh, it goes undiagnosed, but eventually when people get sick enough, they do get to a stage where they get diagnosed. Yeah. And so what would be the symptoms of someone that may have interstitial lung disease? The most common symptom of interstitial lung disease is breathlessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means difficulty taking a deep breath or feeling that 
you can't get enough air uh, or air hunger. People describe it differently. Um, and breathlessness with interstitial disease is typically progressive, meaning that it comes on very slowly and develops slowly over a number of years is the usual story. Mm. Sometimes you can get a dry cough. Sometimes the cough can even be productive, uh, but none of this is as common as breathlessness. And so when, because I mean, to be breathless, could sometimes people sort of ignore that symptom and think, oh, it's just because of, you know, they could make rationale for it. And is that why sometimes people get maybe not going to the doctor or maybe not get diagnosed? Is that sort of symptom, when would it get to the point where they should actually go and see their doctor about it or it becomes sort of a worry that they need to speak to a doctor? Unfortunately, that's actually correct. I think that there may be quite a few people out there who may in fact be getting breathless and they put it down to different things like I'm just getting old or yeah. I'm unfit uh, are two of the common things that people say. Uh, but sometimes in, in fact it's actually due to a disease. So I would say that if your loved ones, if your, your peers are telling you that you have changed mm. and you're getting more breathless or something is different to you, then maybe that's a sign that you should do something to seek medical attention yeah. and get assessed. And if you suffer from already a condition where you may be asthmatic, would you be putting it down to that and then you sort of, oh, I'll just use more of my Ventolin or, you know, it, bottom line is what you're saying is if you feel get, you're getting breathless and it's getting worse, then definitely speak to a doctor because there could be a reason for it. Absolutely. I, I think if you have a, a coexisting condition such as asthma or heart failure, anything that can cause a similar symptom, it makes it even more difficult. I think as a rule, if your condition is changing, that's when you should seek to be reassessed by a medical professional. Okay. And what sort of, how do you make a diagnosis of interstitial lung disease? The diagnosis of interstitial lung disease is based on uh, the combination of history, so talking to the patient and finding out uh, what uh, impairments and symptoms they're experiencing and what kind of exposures they've had in the past. That's actually very important. Mm. But that includes occupation and drugs. The next step would be lung function, so some sort of measure of uh, lung capacity and the ability of the lungs to work. Mm. And the last step or, or a concurrent step may be some form of lung imaging. Typically, we need a CAT scan of the lungs. Okay. And then what is the difference then between interstitial lung disease and idiopathic lung disease? Um, the word interstitial uh, refers to the the substance, the tissue of the lung uh, mm. outside of in, not referring to the airways, not referring to the lining. It's actually the substance of the lung. Whereas the word idiopathic actually just means uh, unknown cause. Okay. So if, I, so I if you using, know the cause, then that would be interstitial? But if you didn't know a cause? Uh, no. Lungs, so oh. idiopathic lung disease doesn't just refer to, to interstitial lung disease. There are a number of other oh. things of which we don't know the cause of. Uh, and it's not... Uh, uh, restricted to just the interstitium. Mm. Uh, whereas uh, if we know the cause of an interstitial lung disease, we would typically label it such as asbestosis or mm. silicosis are two examples. Okay. And so I was reading that mole, bird droppings, um, silica, you know, fibres, that then can damage our lungs. Why, why is it that those aren't good for us? 
The uh, theory behind why people develop interstitial lung disease is that of a reaction to the substance that we breathe in. That's most uh, of the case. Sometimes mm -hmm. an interstitial lung disease can develop because of something inside our bodies. But these examples that you mentioned, bird droppings, mold, silicon, these are all things that we can breathe in mm. and they can have the potential to cause a bad reaction in the lungs, which leads to an interstitial lung disease. Okay. So the fibre, I'm being simplified. So if you breathe in the fibre, does it lodge in your tissue of your lung and then it doesn't, you can't get it out? Is that, is that or is it the reaction to it, breathing it in or both? Uh, depends on the substance that we're referring to. So asbestos, as a classic example in Western mm. Australia, uh, is an inorganic fibre that stays um, un stays in the lung indefinitely. So when we look at lungs with people with asbestosis, we can still see the fibres lodged in there. Oh, my God. So that's an yeah. example of something that stays there. Other things such as uh, mould, for example, may mm. come and go. Right. So you, it, the mould that you breathe in may not stay there forever, but it's more the reaction to the mould that gives you the disease. Okay. And then how much is bad for you if you accidentally did get exposure to asbestos or silica? How much would it be that could be damaging? For asbestos and silicon, uh, exposures, uh, it is thought that the uh, level of exposure to develop an interstitial lung disease has to be substantial. Uh, so typically we see this in occupational as exposures rather than incidental exposures. The person who may have lived in an asbestos house as yes, a child, yeah. they wouldn't develop asbestosis. They can develop other forms of disease due to asbestos exposure, but they wouldn't develop interstitial lung disease. So for instance, it would be the difference between so you have you live with the stone bench top, but because you're not the stone mason cutting the stone. So uh, the example of a stone bench top that uh, may be uh, more relevant with silicon. Yeah. Uh, so with those uh, diseases with silicosis, it would be the people who are working with it and cutting it, not so much the people who have it in your homes. Yeah. So when I've gone and seen stone masons or even concreters, they'll they'll always wet. You know, you see them with water and they're wetting the fiber or the wetting the material hmm. is that enough to to stop them from getting any damage to their lungs to answer that question uh, uh, that would actually require a workplace assessment by yes. a you know a body that is suited to do that so the, yeah. the assessment would actually cover how much respirable particles the workers are exposed to the purpose of the wetting is actually yeah. to reduce the dust and that's reduce. an appropriate thing to do yeah okay yeah. Asbestosis is thought to probably plateaued, if not starting to decrease in incidence. In, by incidence, I mean new diagnoses yeah. of cases. Yeah. Uh, that's thought to be either flattening out or perhaps even dropping off because uh, as working with asbestos has been essentially uh, abandoned a number of decades ago. Yes. Um, this is not the case in some developing countries where we will see continued incidents and perhaps rising incidents of asbestosis. Yes. Uh, but in Western Australia, we believe it's probably starting to reduce. And what about silicosis? What's what's going on with that in terms of, because we hear it on the, on the news and um, there has been cases of it. Is it increasing or... Or not? Silicosis is a little bit more tricky because you can have different forms of silicosis. Okay. You can have the chronic form, which takes 10, 20 plus years to develop in people who have been working with silicon mm. for a long part of their lives. That was the classic form that we used to see. 
there is also an accelerated form where mm-hmm. people can develop the disease within one or two years after mm-hmm. acute exposure, a short, shorter-term exposure to silicon. And that's, I think, what's been more highlighted in the media lately. Mm. As far as I know, there is no way to predict uh, how, whether one individual will develop uh, interstitial lung disease. Uh, some of uh, the development is a bit individual. And mm. so you may hear of stories where two people work in exactly the same jobs for the same number of time and one develops asbestosis and the other doesn't. Yeah. And we don't really have... Uh, the full understanding of why that happens. It is, we think, due to individual factors. Okay. So then if your job is, for instance, a stonemason, for instance, um, and, you know, we're all wanting this artificial stone in our houses. I've got some at home as well and it mm. seems to be increasing. What would be your advice then? Would they Should they go and see their GP and they have a spirometry every now and again and they sort of see how their lung function is over time? You know, is it something they should monitor for themselves or, or not really? Are you referring to the workers? Yeah. So uh, as if a person has had a history of working with uh, exposure to silicon, then yes, the recommendation is they should have some form of surveillance uh, now, that doesn't have to be uh, uh, any form of invasive uh, surveillance. In fact, the recommended surveillance is a simple breathing test and also a chest X-ray. Okay. And how often would you need to have that done, do you think? Uh, the, the recommendations vary, but yeah. I believe uh, an annual uh, surveillance would be the, the baseline. Okay. And they just have that with their GP or they can go to a respiratory physician? Either. Uh, many GPs, uh, I think, would uh, be happy to follow the guidelines provided and and organise these surveillance tests. Yeah, okay. So it's something that if you work in that industry, you know you're going to get exposure to it, then it, it's a good idea to to monitor it. Yes, that's yep. correct. That, okay. that, that is the current recommendation from the, the Thoracic Society. Okay. And then how do you actually treat interstitial lung disease? Is it something that... Um, can you heal the lung tissue and almost, you know, cure it or is it something then you have to live with? So that depends on the nature of the interstitial lung disease. There are some interstitial lung disease which are what we describe as more inflammatory in nature and in those cases we can actually reverse some of that inflammation. Once inflammation proceeds beyond uh, that stage and goes into what we call fibrosis or a scarring process, that typically becomes irreversible and the management uh, focuses on preventing the progression of the disease. So what would be an example of that? Uh, something that is progressive. Yeah. Um, asbestosis would be something that's progressive. We cannot reverse asbestosis once it's been diagnosed. We work at uh, preventing the patient from getting sicker. Yeah, okay. And are there medications now or is there treatments available Unfortunately, for most of the fibrotic interstitial lung diseases, there hasn't been any specific medications. Uh, mm. There are things that we can still do for patients, such as oxygen and transplant for the appropriate patient. For some of the idiopathic lung diseases, yeah. there are now uh, specific medications available uh, to have come on market last year for the treatment of uh, the diagnosis of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is actually the most common or one of the most common forms of interstitial disease we see. Yeah. So what's an example of idiopathic? So in terms of what's something really common that you might, would diagnose? 
Um, so the uh, of the idiopathic interstitial lung yeah. diseases, uh, the the most common is IPF, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Oh, okay. There are a couple of others, but we don't see them anywhere near as commonly. Mm. Um, so the one that we can treat, fortunately, is actually the most common one. The oh, ones, the one that has the medications now available to slow its progression. Okay, what can we do to prevent it? So for for idiopathic, I guess by definition we. We don't know. No, yeah, because <laughs> um, you'd need to know the cause. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so for for the other ones where we do know the cause, yeah. uh, yeah, such as the, the occupational ones, yeah. it is actually an occupational assessment of the workplace to make sure that the exposure is within the recommended range. And there are actually guidelines to recommend, for example, how much silicon you should be allowed exposure. to be exposed to to be safe. Yeah, uh, and the workplace should aim to actually stay below those levels. Yeah, and uh, that—that's been something that's covered uh, in the media lately that I've read about. Okay, is there advice for just exposure to? Um, I suppose just the everyday person that might be exposed to dust or fibres that you would sort of advise as a respiratory physician, which might be more mindful of. I think any time where there is a potential for dust, whether that's uh, organic, such as with uh, gardening. Um, oh, yeah. Well, like, so is that sort of like your um, – not manures and things or, or is it? Yeah, so, so uh, any type of uh, uh, organic uh, dust, including grass, pollens. Uh, oh, yes. Um, yep. Compost yes, manure yep. has the potential to cause a reaction in the lung. Now that's right. a different form of disease to some of these others that we've discussed. Yes. Um, also, when we're talking about inorganic dust, so for example, the the do-it-yourself person who might be cutting their own stone. Yes. Um, anytime where there's a potential for that, um, the sensible thing to do would be to minimise your exposure to dust as much as you can. The truth is, if you're cutting uh, stone one day for your own kitchen, it's probably not going to be a problem. Mm. It's going to be the ongoing exposure that occupational exposures get that causes the problem with the silicosis. Okay. So it's really, you know, um, following some guidelines. Have you, is there anywhere that people could possibly go and have a look that you would recommend to check on these guidelines? Um, I can recommend the Thoracic Society of Australia and New Zealand website. They probably do have some information on that. Uh, the Lung Foundation of Australia probably also have information uh, for, for for the public, for the general yeah. public to, yeah. to read about and to understand. And it's better to direct people to credible websites to seek that sort of information versus sort of just putting in a Google and... And I, hoping they might come across it. Yes, I, I think so. I think uh, whenever possible, uh, you know, talk to a professional about uh, a source that is organised by a professional body rather than an open source like a, like a wiki, for example. Yeah. And so if in doubt also, go to your GP and then also respiratory physicians would take care of you as well in terms of um, – but the surveillance can be done by their GP – most of the time, the surveillance uh, for workers who are exposed can be done by GP. Uh, any GP that is in doubt uh, will generally refer, refer them on to a specialist. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. My pleasure, Danae. Dr Ivan Ling spoke about the importance of taking all efforts to reduce the levels of dust and our exposure to dust. 
for workers exposed to high levels of known harmful dust such as crystalline silica, which is commonly referred to as engineered or artificial stone, we all need to be much more vigilant about health surveillance. And according to RACP, this should include a respiratory questionnaire, taking a well-documented work and exposure history, and lung function testing or some imaging where appropriate. Lung function testing is a comprehensive specialist investigation which is reported on by a respiratory physician. If you are concerned about the health and function of your lungs, speak to your GP or seek a referral to a respiratory physician. I will be sure to provide some useful website links in the podcast episode notes. You've been listening to MediTalk, a podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You can follow MediTalk podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review this podcast via iTunes or your podcasting app. If you have any health topics you would like to hear discussed, please email them to danae at meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.